Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. We're going back to the 40s with this next film, back to the era of World War II and the Nazi regime. Oh, and this stars Donald Sutherland. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, hello. Good evening, Mr. Smelly. How are you this fine night? I'm doing real good. How's about you? Uh, oh, I'm I'm uh, not the worst for wear. I had uh, a little exchange of paint with another driver, but, you know, we swapped stories and laughed about it. <laughs> That's never fun. Uh, you know, just please tell me you didn't swap sp- Hey, sweetness. No, this this person wasn't my, the my <laughs> preferred gender opposite. I, I don't know why I said that. That was just a, that. It's April 1st today. So, of course, you know, it, actually, I have a really great April Fool story. I was in my team meeting at work. I have this co-worker who, um, well, they pretend to not get along with our boss. And they must have agreed on this. Uh, ahead of time, because during the meeting, my coworker pretended to be quitting and saying that today was their last day. Oh, <laughs> and all of us bought it because these two fight like brother and sister. And uh, anyways, after it was said and done, they said, April Fools. <laughs> no, see, that's why April Fools is banned today. Oh, truly. I I think April Fools really around here is um when Gertie shows up early to uh to replace the empties. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think her, I hear her pulling up to the curb now. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I heard the whole thing, and uh, I'm not I'm not very happy about being made fun of. Uh, by the way, just want you to know, I could have been in this movie. Listen, Donald Sutherland could have nestled in my. I certainly am much more ample than Kate Nelligan. That's all I'm going to say. I'll be downstairs when you want me to intro. <laughs> okay, bye bye. Wow, there she goes. Okay. Clean off a few of those glasses, please. We need them later. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, is she down there, sir? Yeah. Okay. Henry is a quiet Englishman who, by day, pals around with his fellow officers. But by night, he's returned to his room at the boarding house. He's a German spy during World War II. And he's just discovered and taken photos of England's greatest offensive secret just days before D-Day. But his cover is blown, and Henry, with the photographs, makes a hasty and dangerous escape from England. The Fuhrer has sent a U-boat to bring him back to Germany with his photographic evidence that will tell Germany where the Allied forces are going to invade. Finally, just when Henry seems just about to reach his U-boat, a storm shipwrecks Henry on a desolate island off the coast of Scotland. The very island that our heroine Lucy resides with her despondent disabled husband. 
It is here. The two have been convalescing ever since their wedding night when a terrible tragic car accident robbed her newlywed husband of the use of his legs. Lucy nurses the shipwrecked stranger back to health. Will her husband find out their guest's secret? Will Lucy fall for the handsome stranger? Will Henry ever be able to make it to his U-boat? Grab a raincoat and your keys. It's time for Eye of the Needle, starring Donald Sutherland and Kate Nelligan. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Ooh, April's here, and it's no fool, and we're talking about a... Uh, well, a romantic thriller tonight, Toppy. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a. I, I recently watched it after seeing it many years ago, and uh, it it now appears to me to be kind of uh, even for 1981 to be kind of a throwback to to earlier Hollywood thrillers. Hmm. You know, as I was watching the trailer for this, which we'll get to in a moment, it, it it had that feeling of action there, where you know, if it had been something earlier, um, you know, closer to the time that this was set, you would have seen words flying across the screen tell you that this was Donald Sutherland and Kate Nelligan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the trailers of old did that. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. So speaking of trailers, I guess perhaps we should play that for those listening here. Give it a go. Donald Sutherland. Excuse me? Kate Nelligan. The bestseller of passion and suspense. Eye of the Needle. Come in. Good evening. I'm Henry Baker. I don't even know what you do. I'm a writer. A man with a past he can't reveal. I'm beautiful. A woman with a future she can't imagine. David. Two desperate lovers trying to escape. He with a secret. She with her life. You see? I'm not going to hurt you this year, I promise. But I am coming in. I have to come in. When the moment comes, there is only one choice. Eye of the Needle, the Ken Follett bestseller that you couldn't put down, is now the movie you won't want to miss. Eye of the Needle. 
Ooh. <laughs> you know, in that trailer there where you saw him at the door breaking the glass, that just gave me not only chills, but it reminded me of the scene in um, The Shining, which coincidentally was made just the year before this where he yeah. had the axe and you know his, his wife was on the other side of the door yeah except in this movie the axe is in the hands of kate now again <laughs> spoilers <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy well it was 1981 so dj set the world stage what was going on then hey the world in 1981 all right. Well, the release of 52 American hostages in Iran was negotiated in 81. And Ronald Reagan was sworn in as the 40th U.S. president. Okay. Hollywood. All right. And Walter Cronkite, well, he signed off of CBS, the Big Brother Network, after 19 years on the air. Wow. A uh, few other things importance in 1981. The Space Shuttle Columbia was the first successful space shuttle launched then. The uh, Los Angeles Centers for Disease Control first reports early cases of what would later become known as AIDS. Wow. Mm-hmm. I remember. Mm-hmm. Now, here we have the first Supreme Court nominee who is a woman black person today. And back in 1981... Sandra Day O'Connor became the first woman nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. It's uh, taken a while for those wheels of progress. Nintendo first released Donkey Kong with Mario at the arcades. (laughs) Waka, waka, waka. (laughs) (laughs) Mark David Chapman was sentenced to 20 years of prison after murdering John Lennon. And the first American test tube baby, Elizabeth Jordan Carr, was born in Norfolk, Virginia. All right. All right. That year saw the celebrity voice, Justin Timberlake, Beyonce Knowles, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Alexis Bledel. Uh, she's from that there, the Gilmore Girls and Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And also Britney Spears, musician uh, and singer and former Disney star, if you can believe it. <laughs> well, I've said it before. And I'll say it again. Beyonce, you know, the first time I remember seeing her on screen, because she was not only she's not only a musician, but an actress was in one of the Austin Powers films where she played Foxy Cleopatra. Mm. <laughs> so tell us what was competing with Eye of the Needle in the theaters in 1981, DJ. All righty. So Eye of the Needle was a summer release. It came out in July of that year. Now, overall, Eye of the Needle, it it probably paid the bills, but it wasn't the top of the box office. Those uh, honors came to uh, the the top uh, as that Superman 2 with Christopher Reeves, of course. That was $108 And uh, right up behind that was Stripes with Bill Murray at $85.2 
And then a personal favorite with Burt Reynolds and Roger Moore, Cannonball Run, brought in wait, 72 million. Wait just one minute. This is a personal favorite of yours. Oh, my goodness. The Cannonball Run movies and uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Those were all things that uh, you couldn't resist watching because they put them on uh, infinite reruns on HBO in the 80s. Uh, 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 gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> So since Eye of the Needle was a summer film and, you know, it wasn't at the top of the box office, I figured I'd mention some honorable mentions of other summer films that came out around this time. There was a film with Roger Moore that came out. It was one of the Bond films and it was for your eyes only. Uh, I remember, I mean, I think everybody remembers most of the the opening themes to the Bond films. That's where they always had the, the big pop star doing the tune. Yeah. And do you remember who that who who did sing for Your Eyes Only? Who was oh, that? Goodness. I, I can't mean, remember. I'm I can hear prob- it in my head. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm probably gonna be wrong when I say Tina Turner, but I'm sure it's not. No, I don't think so. And I, I think can... she did Goldeneye. She did one of them. But anyways. let's talk about uh the director Mm -hmm. of the movie richard alfred marquand and he was born in 1937 he passed away in 1987 and he's a welsh film and television director he was active in both the usa usa and uk film productions He started his career as a director of television projects in the 60s on uh, such such as documentaries for the BBC, where he worked on projects like 1972's series Search for the Nile and an edition of One Pair of Eyes in 1968. That was about a novelist, Margaret Drabble, who he had who'd been a friend of his at Cambridge. He collaborated with a celebrated foreign correspondent, James Cameron, in the long-running series called Cameron County for BBC Television, and also with John Pilger on a series of films for ITV. So a lot of work in television, a lot of documentaries. Uh, In 1979, um, by now, Marquand Incorporated, or, or Marquand Incorporated many of his documentary techniques and perhaps one of his best known television movies. Uh, and that was called The Birth of the Beatles. And he also directed several films specifically for children, including uh, something that won an Emmy Award in 1977 called Big Henry and the Polka Dot Kid. Mm. His theatrical movie career began with tonight's film eye of the needle and uh most famously on the strength of his direction which got critical uh acclaim marquand was hired by writer producer george lucas to direct return of the jedi which maybe is what most people remember him for um and lucas said that uh he had done uh on on eye of the needle some really uh great suspense and he felt he was really good with the actors and uh eye of the needle really impressed him and 
Uh, it had a lot of energy and suspense, and that's why Lucas chose him to do Return of the Jedi. And uh, I think maybe one of the other well-known movies Marquand is remembered for is 1985. He directed a courtroom thriller called Jagged Edge. Anybody remember that? It starred Jeff Bridges and Glenn Close. And it was one of those courtroom dramas where you didn't know the GD truth until the very end. Yes. Oh, and the hash in the in the uh, chat room, uh, Tommy Ashbron says Sheena Easton uh, did uh, the the movie we were thinking of uh, for your eyes only, and Tina Turner uh, did Golden Eye. Mm. And I know later on it might have been more one of the more recent Daniel Craig 007 movies. I think Madonna finally took a turn at that. Oh, jeepers. Yeah, I, I, I haven't been following him, <laughs> although although I've heard he did a, a good turn. I guess mm-hmm. uh, people say, yeah, good, good turn is 007. Yeah. And it's it's time to uh, pass the baton, allegedly, although we don't know much like Doctor Who. We don't know who's going to be the next one. No, no. <laughs> uh, I've heard I've heard. I don't know if it's a rumor or just talk or whatever. The next bond might be a female. I've heard those rumors too. So um, we're going to go ahead and start our discussion of the, the fine talent that made up the cast of this film. And of course the front runner on that is Mr. Donald Sutherland. Now, um, you know, I'll admit that before this little adventure here at the marionette, I hadn't seen many of Mr. Sutherland's films. Now, of course, last year, I do believe we watched Ordinary People. But then there was another one as well that I introduced. Right. Uh, Max Dugan Return. That's right. He played, and, uh, yeah, he played a minor but important role in that. And Marsha Mason was in that with him. So uh, anyways, Mr. Donald Sutherland is the star of tonight's film that we're discussing. And uh, he played the character of Henry, who was, of course, the spy. And, uh, you know, to his everyday friends there in the merry old England, he was known as Mr. Faber. But, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, um, he could have been Mr. Baker, which is uh, the name he gave his gracious hosts after his tragic accident. Yes. uh... (laughs) Yes. And, uh uh nice henry would skulk back to his little apartment uh where he had uh equipment um to signal the nazis oh you know by today's standards he could have been a podcaster (laughs) (laughs) oh god but getting back to the point mr sutherland was born in canada Uh, i once heard him say that um Americans uh, confuse him with being English and uh, English confuse him with being American, but he's Canadian. And after high school, he went to England and studied acting at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. And he had starred in several dozen films prior to um, the film he did just before Eye of the Needle, which was Ordinary People that we discussed this last year. And uh, Sutherland's film before that was nothing personal in 1980, which he did with the Three's Company star, Suzanne Summers. 
now a film after that was a film called Gas in 81 with Howie Mandel of all folks. And uh, <laughs> that was about rising prices and a series of gas station heists. Oh, it's a movie that could be done today. I think so. Oh, I, I wonder who they would cast in the remake. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Oh, well, I, I, I'm guessing it's not going to be Will Smith anytime soon. Anyways. Oops. He um, is, uh, most recently, he had a recurring role. In the 2020 HBO series called The Undoing, starred Nicole Kidman and Mr. Hugh Grant. Wait a minute. Hugh Grant did something recently? I know. And uh, he actually was in a movie um, a few years ago with, uh, I want to say, Meryl Streep. And uh, it was about a woman who thought she could sing and his character was the supportive husband who didn't want to break her heart yes 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 <laughs> lawrence I foster remember. jenkins yes that's it yes there you um, go good good uh good land that uh, i'd like to see that movie because i've heard recordings of the actual singer it's about and boy <laughs> boy oh boy oh boy wow voice, voice only mom could love yes <laughs> so this show the undoing with nicole kimmon and hugh grant was about a wealthy New York City therapist whose family becomes involved in a murder. Yes, that's a callback to a film we discussed before, Murder by Death. And previously, Donald Sutherland was in a 2018 FX series called Trust, which starred Hilary Swank and Brendan Fraser. And uh, that was about a 70s kidnapping of an heiress to an Italian oil fortune. And most iconically, Sutherland played President Snow in the 2014 and 15 Hunger Games films. Oh, I hope that's not considered iconic, but okay. <laughs> well, I have not seen them, but in interviews, uh, uh, Donald Sutherland can be very intellectual and politically minded. And he has said that the reason he took on the role in the Hunger Games is because it had a, a very political message that he hasn't seen in films of recent years. So, okay. Um, so maybe there's something to it, but anyways, uh, to date Sutherland is 199 acting credits. And uh, my favorite memory of Donald Sutherland was, Oh, about 15 or so years ago, he was in a short lived TV series with Gina Davis, who is apparently a member of Mensa. She's a genius. Uh, as the nation's first woman president and commander-in-chief. I vaguely remember that, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, in the in the chat room, Tommy Hashbrown has uh, linked uh, this movie up with Star Trek. Star Trek. It just happens here, folks, every episode. Uh, but uh, Donald Sutherland um, appeared in a uh, 70s remake of invasion of the body snatchers that had leonard nimoy in it uh hence star trek hmm. although i can also say there was an episode of uh voyager that was titled uh eye of the needle that's all i know mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and i think i remember that one but uh anyway so toppy our uh, our leading lady in the film tonight, she's a a lady of a, a similar background to Mr. Sutherland, Miss Kate Nelligan. Tell us a little about her. 
All right. Well, she's awfully appealing in this movie, and uh, she's been very appealing in many other movies. In Eye of the Needle, she plays Lucy Rose, uh, the wife of David. And uh, uh, like Donald Sutherland, she was also born in Canada. And she began acting in television in the 70s. And on, on both TV and the screen, she established herself eventually as a top-notch an in-demand supporting player and character actress. Eye of the Needle was only her fourth film. Just prior to that, Nelligan starred in Mr. Patman, 1980, with James Coburn about a male nurse who works the night shift at a psychiatric hospital. And in the five years that would follow, Nelligan would star in only two more movies, including the year after with her most recognizable role, in the movie Without a Trace in 1983 with Judd Hirsch and Stockard Channing about an estranged New Yorker who turns to the police when her son goes missing. And then uh, I think maybe the next uh, big event for her was uh, being nominated for an Academy Award as Best Supporting Actress in The Prince of Tides. That was in 1991. Now, there's another side to to Katie, and that was her theater um, roles that brought her great fame in the UK. And in 1980, Nelligan set her eyes on Broadway. And that's where she racked up four, count them, four Tony Award nominations for Best Actress in these following productions. Plenty. 1983, A Moon for the Misbegotten in 1984, Serious Money in 1988, and The Spoils of War in 1989. So that's quite a career in what appear to be, to me, just based on the titles, not knowing a damn thing about them, is they must have been dramatic or perhaps comedian, uh, comedy roles. Um, because I sure as heck don't remember the names of any of those productions coming my way. So, uh, but um, in addition, uh, she performed a lot in her native Canada on television and movies. And her work in Canada has brought her five, five Gemini Awards, uh, award nominations. Uh, Nelligan is now 72. Her latest acting credit was in 2010. Two guest appearances on Laura Law and Order Special Victims Unit. And to date, she has 59 acting credits. Mm, so I, uh, I actually watched an interview with Miss Nelligan, and uh, she was such a fixture of theater that in the early 90s there, when Barbara Streisand went to do one of her first directorial films um prince of tides as we just mentioned there and that was actually her exposure to kate nelligan's work so uh after barbara streisand saw her in the theater that's when she was moved to cast her in her film the prince of tides you know she has such a soft voice in the things I know are from Eye of the Needle. She has a very soft voice. It's hard to imagine her projecting on stage on Broadway. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, this this movie could have practically been what they call ASMR these days, where everybody whispers. <laughs> really cool. 
Because, I mean, as accomplished as he is, I was hard-pressed to find an interview with Donald Sutherland where you didn't hear the hum of the mic because he's he's a very gentle speaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, his voice has led to some voice work on a lot of commercials. I can't, oh. I can't think of them, but he's he's the voice behind a lot of commercials. Oh, goodness, Toppy, that, that, that jogs a memory. He was the voice of Florida orange juice in my childhood. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. So, well, we are at about... Well, that's, that's better than Anita Bryant being the voice of Florida orange juice. <laughs> that was my day. In my day, it was Anita Bryant. Oh, that she got a pie in the face, but hey. Yeah. I wonder if um, pie sales improved after that. Oh, they must have. That's a thought. So we're about the halfway mark in the show, and uh, we're going to step on over here to a place where we can have some happier memories of orange juice because they're being served up by our showgirl. <laughs> uh-huh. You better believe it. Hey, all right. Make mine a double. So Okay. <laughs> we have a uh, a tribute to the work of the director, Mr. Richard Marquand, and this is a, just a little under three minutes. It's um, a, a documentary called Wales in Film, the country of Wales. Who was Richard Marquand? Well, like a lot of the very best people, Richard was a supporter of Liverpool Football Club. When he was very young, he worked as a newsreader for one of Hong Kong's English language channels. Mostly, Marquand was a director, but also producer and writer, and by the sounds of it, a very enthusiastic Welshman. He started off making documentaries for the BBC and made numerous kids' films before his big break making The Legacy, starring Catherine Ross, Sam Elliott and Roger Daltrey. Marquand followed this up with a biographical movie titled The Birth of the Beatles, and this was released in cinemas across the whole world apart from the United States, where it premiered on television to mixed reviews. Despite this limited exposure to US audiences, Richard found himself in the director's chair for The Eye of the Needle, released in 1981, an adaptation of a best-selling espionage novel by Ken Follett, who was also born in Cardiff. 12 years after Richard. Before worldwide success as a novelist, Follett had a background in journalism also for the South Wales Echo. Now, given that the Marquands seem to have been an influential and powerful family in the area of the South of Wales and its capital at that time, it's quite possible that this is somehow how Richard found himself helming this British movie produced by United Artists. I remember catching the eye of the needle on TV as a kid. Donald Sutherland's creepy and sinister performance stayed with me for a few days after I saw it. And watching this movie again, in preparation for making this essay, it's clear to me that Richard Marquand had a considerable ability in building slow-burning tension and exploiting drama from human relationships. I recommend watching The Eye of the Needle, a best-selling novel adapted into an international movie and directed by Cardiff's most credible, if perhaps not the most celebrated, movie director. What it really demonstrates is Marquand's understanding of filmic tension and the human dynamic. This is probably why Richard then gets the call from one of the most powerful men in Hollywood.
sometime in 1981, George Lucas cherry-picks Richard Marquand, then aged 43, to direct what was perhaps the biggest movie event of all time, Star Wars The Return of the Jedi. There are, of course, other much-noted reasons why Lucas needed Marquand. He had been ostracised by the Directors Guild of America due to their objections to his use of the opening crawls in both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. Lucas left the Guild, which is effectively a director's union, and was therefore unable to hire any member of it to direct his movies. In short, Lucas needed a director not in the union. His original choice was independent director David Lynch, but when Lynch eventually dropped out, feeling the tone and style of the film was inappropriate for his needs, Lucas turned back to Richard Marquand. Okay. I just want to say, can you imagine David Lynch directing uh, that movie? Oh, my Oh, my goodness. Uh, David Lynch did do a science fiction movie, Dune. Um, and uh, it's a little different, let's just say. Although it may have been the material and uh, the, t- the time it was done. Uh, has nothing whatsoever to do with the recent Dune remake. But uh, David Lynch, what can you say? <laughs> DJ, have, what, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think I have another Star Trek tie-in, because if I'm not Oh, mistaken- no! Dune may have introduced American audiences to the enigma that is Mr. Patrick Stewart before Star Trek. <laughs> uh, possibly, possibly. Mm-hmm. He was in that, wasn't he? He was. Uh, he was also in some sort of King Arthur movie mm-hmm. that, that may have been around that time. And I think that's the first movie I saw him. I don't remember what this movie was, but it was a sword and sorcery kind of thing or something. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we've got one last uh, main character in Eye of the Needle, and that's the husband. Uh, what 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 do you know? What do we know about him, David? Okay, so the husband. He was in the army, and there was a terrible accident. Was that even fifteen minutes into the movie, Toppy? <laughs> well, it did sort of. Uh, it was at the beginning, and. Uh, the thing, the thing that's important that they uh, they showed in, in one of the few scenes uh, uh, during their their wedding day is that as they're driving away to their honeymoon, it's suggested that uh, their their wedding night will not be the first time they've ever had sex, <laughs> which is a good thing because. There's a little kid in the movie uh, that that uh, we find later on, and we also know that they never made it to their wedding night because of the car accident, and they never did uh, uh, have a chance uh, to conceive. So we know uh, the baby came uh, sometime before, or the baby was, was uh, the inception was before that happened. Anyways, so what do we know about what do we know about this actor? Remind what? me about the little boy later. So I knew everything was going downhill as soon as I saw him uh, ask his bride to reach for the bottle of bubbly that was in the car. Yeah. Uh, so, Mister Christopher Cas- Casanova. I want to say Casanova, but it's Casanova. Played David, the husband. And uh, he was born in Winchester, Hampshire, England. So he was he was the real deal. He was not the fake England that uh, Donald Sutherland and Kate Nelligan were 
He was the real born in England, a countryman. He began acting on television in the early 70s. Eye of the Needle was actually his fifth film. Now, just prior, he'd starred in a film in 79. It starred Mr. Burt Lancaster and, believe it or not, Mr. Bob Hoskins, film called mm. Zulu John about mm. British military operations in Africa. And uh, his film after Eye of the Needle was called From a Far Country. This also came out in 81 and it was about Pope John Paul II. He was done by a, uh, a Polish director. Uh, Casanova would star in five films over the next five years. So he got one a year, paid the bills. And in 86, he was cast in the role of Mr. Ben Carrington, the brother on Dynasty. Wow, I have no memory of that. Uh, that's probably because it was only one season he got killed off, I think. Ah. <laughs> like everyone on a soap, right? Oh, he was exploring his options. After which Casanova would continue to average a film a year over the next five years, including a supporting role in a little film with uh, Mr. Tom Selleck, Mr. Ted Danson, and Steve Gutenberg. It was a sequel. Three Men and a Little Lady. Yeah, that was in oh. 1990. Oh no, another Star Trek connection. I, th- <laughs> I think it was. I think that was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, you know, I think you're right. And there, there's an urban myth or legend or something of that nature that if you pause certain scenes in the first movie, Three Men and a Baby, that um, you can see a, a ghost. And I think it might just be, you know, an overexposed reel of film or something. But they say that there is a spirit of a child who was haunting the set that they were filming at. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. All right. I haven't heard that one, but why not? <laughs> so we got a little bit of a uh, side knowledge here, Mr. Casanova. Now, of course, um, it should be noted that of the cast members of Eye of the Needle, uh, Mr. Casanova is no longer with us. He passed away in 2010 at the age of 66, which... Uh, it should be noted also that the director of this film had an untimely passing. I, I believe that he was just days from his 50th birthday at the time. Yeah, uh, passed early, too, way uh, too early. So in 73, the BBC did a documentary called The British Hero. All right. Now, this is very confusing. Uh, so, so, yes. Go on, but but uh, this is Mr. Casanova's claim to fame amongst his countrymen. Everybody has their favorite actor that played 007, and that's your Mr. Bond, the year that you saw the films. Well, Mr. Casanova uh, starred in a documentary in by the BBC in 73 called The British Hero, and this explored various fictional protagonists from the United Kingdom. Now, the documentary was made of reimagined and refilmed scenes from stories throughout history. And uh, Mr. Casanova played each of the heroes, but undoubtedly most of the famous uh, subjects of this documentary were of the James Bond character. Right. Casanova became 007 in newly shot scenes depicting moments in goldfinger and diamonds are forever now presumably 
they did this because they couldn't get the rights to play the actual scenes. I guess. I right. guess. Yes, an homage because uh, the royalties, they were a pretty penny. And while Kazanov's role as Bond is incredibly brief and only takes place in the context of the documentary, his portrayal did leave a lasting impression amongst fans, and the scene strove to be faithful to Ian Fleming's version of Bond. So, aka like how Casino Royale really wasn't a Bond film originally, but in more recent years, they made a Bond film version of that story. Okay. So um, um, strange and odd. Although seeing him in Eye of the Needle uh, and, and picturing him, I can cer- I can certainly see him being a Bond. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, Mr. Casanova was uh, a theater actor as well. And on stage, he starred as Henry Higgins, Professor Higgins, in both the British and American productions of My Fair Lady. Oh. 2005 and 2008. Now, uh, here's just a little bit of background on um, Mr. Casanova's untimely passing. Um, Much like the director of the film, his son suffered a similar fate. He was killed in a car accident. Now, uh, his oldest son, and uh, while driving to pick up books from Cambridge University, he had just been awarded a master's degree in philosophy. This is the son. And sources close to the actor said that he never got over his son's death and started drinking heavily at that time. So uh, hence his passing at the tender age of 66. Oh, that's too bad. Too bad. So I have the needle. I first saw this, I think, I think I I rented a VHS tape a long time ago and uh, really liked it. Saw it for the second time only a few nights ago. And as I said before, was really uh, surprised in how much like an old movie uh, from the golden age of Hollywood uh, thrillers. Like it, it, it felt like it, it could have been made in the late forties, early fifties. That's how it, 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 it felt the whole thing felt like, including uh, the, the, the very uh, luscious uh, movie score was really old time Hollywood. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you don't have many films uh, unless they're like a, you know, a, a major summer film or what have you where it's got an instrumental score these days. A lot of films, they just fill it up with pop music. Yeah. So that surprised me because I just, I don't remember it feeling like that before. And uh, DJ, I got to ask you right off the bat. Mm -hmm. All right. Recall the scene where David, uh, uh, the husband, uh, has discovered the film canister in the pocket of... Henry, mm-hmm. the spy, and outside when his wife isn't around, he pulls a gun, a shotgun on Henry and says, okay, what's the deal? Who are you and what's going on? This eventually, in short order, leads to a a deadly physical struggle between the two of them, and it happens on a cliffside. DJ, <laughs> who? were you rooting for oh <laughs> well this is one of those moments where i had to pause the film only to have in mind how much was left because i was i was thinking to myself well if i'm going to root for you know the the guy in the wheelchair 
I, I don't know where the story's gonna go because you know the 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 villain is is got to make it through. This is that's what makes it a thriller. But I kind of thought that um, you know David was gonna at least get one over on him because okay, sure he doesn't have the use of his legs, but as a lot of us have come to understand. When we lose certain abilities, your others become more developed. So he could have squished his head off its ne- his neck like a cantaloupe. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Henry was certainly uh, held in a in a, a lot an arm lock by David, and uh, he was close to passing out. <laughs> so yeah, uh, his upper body, uh, 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 David's upper body strength, uh, you know, had been had been kept up. So <laughs> I I found myself bouncing back and forth because first of all, the beginning of the movie is very much about Henry, and even though he's clearly a a villain and he's working with the Nazis and he's a killer, I mean. We see him dispatch easily a number of people that might have uh, exposed him otherwise. And he does it with, I don't know what that weapon is called. Oh. But it's, it's not a dagger, but it's a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a knife of some sort. that mm-hmm. It's his namesake, really, the needle. Yeah. Anyways, so because the director is so skillful, you kind of you because the movie is about him you you kind of are are a little bit you're a little bit rooting for him you want you know you kind of want him to get away <laughs> from england and escape their clutches and even there in the cliffside struggle with poor david i found myself oh oh i, I found myself rooting for donald sutherland the nazi spy <laughs> <laughs> Even though, uh, you know, David isn't exactly portrayed sympathetically, but he is a, a, an Englishman full of patriotism. He was gonna go into the, the Air Force, the British Air Force, I believe, or at least the Army or something. Mm-hmm. And he was all about defending England. I mean, that that was right after his honeymoon that's what he was gonna do and so you can't help but think well this is a noble man anyways it just strikes me as really interesting the way it the movie caught you are you gonna you know i i'm i'm making you want to root for the villain (laughs) and i kind of did uh so that was a, a a great moment in the movie this cliffside struggle Although, you know, I kind of wanted David to survive only because I was sort of expecting for him to drag the affair out. Because, of course, you have this poor wife whose husband has given up on life just simply because he's not the man that she married, technically. You know, he's he's feeling sorry for himself. And this, you know, this is not the 21st century, even the 20th century, but really... It's 1940-something, so, you know, we, we think differently of people. But here, the the uh, the wife, Lucy, has an opportunity to, to maybe have some attention paid to her, and the handsome stranger comes through her 
<laughs> pardon the term or Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's an opportunity there. But I I kind of wanted David to survive the struggle uh-huh. only to see how the the um the revenge might have played out, you know. Oh, I caught you, my lovely. You know, you were gonna run off with this man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Tommy Ashbrown's just said something interesting to me. He says that this movie feels really Hitchcockian. Uh, mm-hmm. For him, and I also felt that way, and couldn't help this last time viewing it. Uh, I mean, Mark Juan did a great job, but I could not help but feel like this would have been a project that Hitchcock would have excelled in. And well, I mean, done even better <laughs> uh, <laughs> because this this is re- this really is. Hitchcock material. Now, Hitchcock at the time, I think, was still alive, but at the very nearly the end of his life. And although Hitchcock would never have said or claimed he retired, he was moving very, very slowly. Um, And he was working on projects up until his death. But uh, I, I really feel like if this movie had, you know, the book had been written sooner, um, he would have glommed onto this. I really feel that way. This would have been a hell of a Hitchcock movie. You know, and watching it, I get vibes of, uh, you know, some uh, like a low budget horror movie only because since he's a spy, you know, he's, he's, he's basically, uh, you know, a, a mercenary for hire. And at one point, you 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 kind of wonder how long his opposition is going to last in any scene that he shares with him because it's like a drinking game. Oh, he's up another one. Take a shot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, going back to the child, Toppy. Oh, can... <laughs> that's another thing because Tommy Hashburns also said, or somebody did, uh, that the kid creeped him out. <laughs> Okay, so everybody, if you haven't caught the Eye of the Needle yet, it is available to watch for free on Tubi, T-U-B-I. Oh, I think it just left. I think it, it just it left. It may Tubi. have, um, but, you know, keep an eye out. You might be able to see it again. But, yes, <laughs> well, you know, sometimes sometimes child actors are, are not quite comfortable with speaking parts and sometimes they have speech impediments. I don't know, but the child's voice in the eye of the needle is very clearly dubbed yes. by, by, by an adult pretending to be a uh, child. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I also felt keenly uh, that it was dubbed and that is why the kid is creepy. It's his voice. But you know what? It didn't occur to me that it was an adult trying to be a kid. But you know what? I think that's exactly what it was. Uh, and, you know, Toppy, just watching that scene makes me think the child's possessed. And, and because of the visual of the door and the axe, I almost felt like he was going to be saying red rum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, well, that's another thing. Uh uh, Kate Nelligan as the mother Lucy, after she's learned that when she's been fornicating with is a Nazi spy, she starts to plot how she's going to get away. And, and one of the things she has to do is 
keep her kid quiet mm-hmm. uh, during the rescue. Um, and so he drugs the kid. He, he gives the kid the same uh, medicine that uh, David takes. Uh, and there's a, a bit of foreshadowing uh, in one scene where David says, give me two pills. I want to sleep tonight. So we know these, these whatever medicine he's taking can induce uh, sleepiness. And she grinds up a pill and puts it into milk and gives it to her kid to drink. Why didn't she just poison Donald uh, Sutherland? I have to wonder that too, because in that scene, she excused herself from the bedroom where they were making love. And you thought to yourself, okay, the gears are turning in her head. So she's clearly got a plan here. And I thought that same thing. Now, of course, I also have to admit that it wasn't until the second time that I watched the film that it was more clear to me what her, you know, her motivation was in the scene, because it is very fleeting that moment where she's got the bottle of pills and he asked her husband asked for two, because of course, as you say, he wants to sleep tonight. So when she goes to put the medicine in her kid's milk, I thought to myself, and this is just (laughs) the mind of somebody who is married to someone who likes Ah. horror movies. (laughs) I I was thinking that she was sparing the child from a life of misery under the thumb of the German thugs. I thought that she was helping your kid go nighty night permanently. Oh, did you really? <laughs> oh, oh I mean, God. think of it. How else is she going to leave, you know, leaving the night quickly? Now she's got baggage. Well, I guess so. <laughs> um, I do have to say, however much I possibly may have and was sort of rooting for uh, Henry Donald Sutherland in the cliffside struggle. Uh it, it very interesting. You're uh, you are quickly induced to switch sides again to Kate Nelligan uh, when it comes down to her final uh, 15 minutes in the movie and her struggle uh, with Henry. And clearly, I mean, at that point, I'm totally, totally rooting for her. And I, I, re- I rather like this this switching over that clearly was intentional uh and and uh you know finally you know having to see donald sutherland as 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 rather a rather desperate villain especially by the time his fingers are cut off (laughs) he's he's almost done by that point you know um and there's that touching scene towards the end. Of course, it's kind of a spoiler, but they've gotten to a point where he says to her, he's like, "Is this is what the war has become. It's down to us. Yes. Yes. That line is the essence of the whole movie, the entire war, because he's got the secret for the D-Day invasion. And he says the entire war has come down to us. And he's speaking of their romance really, because I think that was, I don't think he was playing her. I think he was really falling in love with her and and she with him Mm -hmm. Uh, in spite of himself. I I think 
that's the way I see it anyways. And yeah, that, that, that line, the wars come down to us, which, which is the absolutely the essence of the whole movie. Uh, Brilliant. That's, that's all I could say. Brilliant. And, you know, it it should be noted that uh, for those of you who are of a delicate condition, there, there are some scenes in the film that um, they don't really play a part in the story. It's like, okay, it's bathtub time. Did I really need to see that much of her body? This is why this film got an R rating. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it certainly could have been done without boob shots. It, it could have easily been done without boob shots, but it wasn't. I, um, yeah. I just have to ask, uh, perhaps the cisgendered women of the world, why would you have gone to the movies in this time frame? Because you really had nothing to be offered. I mean, except maybe if you went and saw a certain movie with Richard Gere when he was playing a gigolo. <laughs> Uh, okay, I need you to clarify. What do you do? You, do you mean that movies had nothing to offer women as far as naked males? Is that what you're saying? I mean, you know, the Hollywood machine is just at this time, at least, it was all run by men, and so wow. of course, you got nothing of the male anatomy, it was always a tease of something female. Yes, you know, yes. most you could hope for would be a shirtless guy in a movie, yeah, that's true, <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's let's just let's face it. We did not we did not uh, see uh, Donald Sutherland's body the way we saw uh, Kate Nelligan's. <laughs> Those pajama bottoms came on really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Choppy, we are uh, almost at the end of our hour, and we've made our way out here to the lobby. So going to talk about a segment we call our snack tray these are things that you might enjoy if you liked eye of the needle or a film similar to this so i'll go first um so this is not a film that i have seen but i am inclined to see it uh it is set during uh the world war ii time frame this is a film from 1964 with our our beloved james garner and uh, Eve Marie Saint, 1964, a film called 36 Hours. And uh, the story is Germans kidnap an American major and try to convince him that World War II is over so huh. that they can get details about the uh, Allied invasion of Europe out of him. Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, it sounds kind of like a suspense movie, but it, it also sounds like it could be a bit of a comedy. Do you know? I don't think it was comedy, no. Okay. So my selection is if you liked uh, Eye of the Needle, then you would like another movie uh, that we've already mentioned by Mark Richard Mark Kwan, and that is that is Jagged Edge in 1985. It was a critical and box office success. Uh, it was an American neo-noir legal thriller. And it starred Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges and Robert Loggia. Uh, 
who won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in the movie. The Jagged Edge, uh, in The Jagged Edge, a lawyer close reluctantly takes a case of a man accused of killing his wife, uh, Bridges, but remains uncertain if he's guilty or not. And then you find out at the very end. Uh, So uh, another really good taut thriller, uh, not unlike Eye of the Needle. Okay. So before we go ahead and figure out what is coming up next here, take a peek over the balcony for me and let me know who joined us in our chat room tonight. Yes, indeed. We're very, very happy and thankful uh, to have had here in the chat room with us. And by the way, we do do this live and uh, you can be in the chat room and experience this live with us every first and third uh, Friday of the month, like clockwork. Um, But here tonight is your hubby, Billy. Uh, We have Cronehaven, the ever mysterious. We have Marin Gertz. And we have our old buddy pal, Tommy Hashbrowns. Thanks for being here, one and all. It makes a difference when you're here. Thank you. Okay, so we're here in the lobby. And the Marionette Theater is a uh, a historical building. Many things happened here in the past. We had vaudeville. Oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention V-Money. Oh. V-Money, 7707, is also here. Okay. So all those things I said about the building and a magician was once here, left a few things behind, including this bag of coins. Toppy, reach up on that shelf for me, if you would, please. All right, let me fondle that bag. There you go. Okay, would you open that up for me, sir? All right, here you go. It's a capsule, and let me open it. Uh, uh, what what does it say, DJ? All righty. So this is a late 90s comedy, drama, and a musical. All of the above. Yes, sir. You haven't had a musical in a while. Oh, this, uh, it's about a shy, reclusive young woman who's haunted by her father's untimely passing. Through her love, she embraces the music that he enjoyed. Before long, she encounters one of her mother's acquaintances, who's a talent agent, and she begins to find her voice. This stars Jane Horrocks from the British comedy Absolutely Fabulous in Little Voice. Next time on Matinee Minutia, Friday, April 15th. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to look forward to that because I have not seen it. Okay, well, sir, it was a uh, nice evening here, the beginning of spring, nothing but uh, good things to look forward to. So if you would, please, in the ways of the old days of radio, say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio, enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at 
matineemanusha at gmail.com. This has been an Ollie Bug production. Joe's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net.